Good morning. Morning, everyone. It's time to begin our services. Just want to welcome you. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here and honoring us with your presence. And I'd like to invite you back this evening for our evening services at 6 p.m. and also for our midweek Bible study at um, Wednesday at 7 p.m. Want to uh, let you know that currently we have 10 parking spots in the front of our building and two in the back that are designated for those that need a, to park a little closer and, and uh, are unable to maybe walk as, as far as, as some of us. Uh, those are marked as handicap. Uh, we're going to expand those. Uh, we're going to add three more to the front and two more to the, uh, to the back, and that'll happen uh, soon. So I just want to make you aware of that. So hopefully that'll be enough spots to, uh, to cover all of those that need, again, to park a little closer, need a uh, little help. Uh, can't walk quite as far. Also, uh, just a reminder, you know, we, we're passing the communion trays again. We started that last week, but there are cups in the back uh, in the foyer if you would prefer to, uh, to not pass them and, and want to stick with the individual cups. So those are in the back if you would like to, to get some of those. Also, uh, just saw this on uh, Facebook, I guess, this morning that Whitney Fulton is having some health issues right now. She has some uh, gallstones that are going to need to be surgically removed, so it looks like she's going to be having surgery sometime this morning, so we want to make sure to keep her in our prayers. And uh, also Hazel Brazell right now is uh, dealing with, with COVID, some health issues, so let's make sure we keep them in our prayers, and we'll have uh, a complete announcement at the end of our service. Uh, this morning we have um, James Ward that will have a reading and prayer. Uh, Joe Galloway will preside at the table, and Andy Pittman will have our closing prayer. So as we prepare to uh, enter our worship services, let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time, Father, thanking you so much for the opportunity to, to be here this morning. We thank you for being our God, for your grace and your mercy that, that you extend to us, Father. We thank you for your love that you have shown us through your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, that we can come together as a body of believers to worship you and praise you, and we're mindful of those that are unable to be here this morning. Father, we just ask your blessings upon each of them, that you'll watch over them uh, and, and uh, return them to their health, Father, and, and just uh, that they can get back to, to be with us soon. Father, we ask your blessings upon our time here this morning that everything that that is done is done um, in a manner that pleases you that is according to your word we ask that we will uh, remove all distractions that we can place our complete focus on you and worshiping you and and on your son jesus father that uh, was sent to to die for us father be with chris as he brings us the lesson be with john as he leads our singing and Forgive us when we do fall short and sin against you. It's through Jesus Christ we pray all these things. Amen. Please stand for the first song. First hymn this morning, number 624, The Church's One Foundation. 624. 
Next hymn this morning, number 290, 290, I love thy kingdom, Lord. And after this hymn, Brother James Ward will have a reading and prayer. I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of Oh, God. 
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 4. Ephesians 4 and 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we come before you in humble prayer this morning. Father, we're so grateful for the life you've given to each of us, for the opportunity we have this day to gather together with our fellow brothers and sisters and to sing praises unto your name and to, to worship you, Father. Father, we pray that you would help us as a church to grow in our numbers and in our love toward you and toward each other. May we always remember that we are to be Christ-like. Father, we know there are members of our church who are ill at this time, Father, and in need of much comfort from you. We pray, Father, that you would watch over all of them and bless them. And if it's your will, bring them back with us soon. Father, we, we thank you for this country we live in. But, Father, we also know around the world there are many countries that are suffering in different ways. And we pray that you would be with the peoples there. Help them, help them to have peace, Father. Help them to have freedoms. Father, help people to be free to worship you as, as, as it should be. Father, we're so grateful for those of our country who serve in different services, the, the, the soldiers and the policemen and the medical people. Father, we're just so grateful that we have people willing to devote their lives to serving others. We pray, Father, we, you would bless people in those professions. And again, Father, we thank you so much for this church. We know we have many, many members of different, different uh, professions and what have you, Father, but together we've come, we are one church. And together, Father, we, we worship you and we love you, Father. We pray that you would watch over us now as we continue to sing praises to you as we study your word and, and, and very shortly partake of the communion. Father, we, we pray that you would just help us to always be doing things that are correct in your sight. It's in Christ and we pray. And amen. That was Brother Alan Payne, by the way. 764, when we meet in sweet communion. <clears throat>
Luke chapter 22. And I misplaced a verse, I'm sorry. <clears throat> verse 19. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. We've always used the fruit of the vine for the blood and unleavened bread for the bread that's mentioned. And I've always kind of wondered why. I've heard people say, well, we, it's okay to use Coke and a piece of chocolate cake. It's not the case. See, there's further thinking and logic behind this. God's an amazing God, and he does things that make these little light bulbs come on in my head sometimes. And it's wonderful. Unleavened bread. It's dead. It has no life in it. It's what it is, and it, it will never be anything else. It will decay back to dust. That represents Jesus' body. The blood, fruit of the vine that we use, represents his blood. But the fruit of the vine is alive. It has parts in it that will make it change. It'll go from fresh to fermented to beyond to vinegar. The fruit of the vine is alive. And that's amazing to me. Let's look at uh, uh, Leviticus 
I'm not very good with this, so bear with me. Leviticus. Seventeen and verse eleven. And this is God's rules for the Jews to redeem their sins. And the scripture says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of that life that makes atonement. It's the blood, the life in the blood that makes atonement. Do you see the pictures changing? Do you see why we use the fruit of the vine representing the blood where life is? When Christ died the bread on the cross and then shed his blood, our life was guaranteed. His life was ended. Ours was begun. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this wonderful day, for the opportunity to gather around your table and to realize, Father, how much you loved us, that you would let your son die for us and shed his blood that we might live. Father, bless this bread as we partake. Help us to remember him in his death. In his precious name we pray, amen.
give thanks for the fruit of the vine. Dear Father, we come humbly before you, thanking you for the blood of Jesus that gives us life. Thank you, Father, for the sacrifice that he so willingly gave and you so lovingly allowed. Father, we could not call you Father without that process. Bless us as we partake of the fruit of the vine. Help us to remember his shed blood and how it gives us eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
thank you, Father, for allowing us to commune with you and with your Son. Amen. Because we can call God Father, and we are members of the body of Christ, we have obligations because of that blessing. And the obligation is back to the community, the church that we are part of, and we have the necessity of providing means that the church may carry on its works. That includes spreading the word, but also paying the bills. That's our responsibility. That's what we are ready to do now as different, separate part from the communion. And uh, we're supposed to do this joyfully. It's not like a federal tax. We can enjoy this because of what it's going to do in the neighborhood. Let's bow. Father, be with us as we contemplate our giving. Help us to purpose in our hearts that we will make sure that your word is spread in this area and throughout the world. And Father, that everyone can have the blessings that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 156, For Christ in the Church. 156. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour.
Invitation hymn for this morning, number 587, 587, Soul of Savior, Thou Art Needed, Brother Chris. Good morning. We're grateful for your attendance this morning. Today we're going to be talking about why there are so many churches. You don't have to go around even our small community here and you're going to find several different churches. I did a little bit of research on this uh, this weekend and found out that there are, in fact, around 38,000 different churches around the world. That's kind of impressive, right? That's kind of wild. I would not have pictured it at that high of a number, but that's, that's what it says, 38,000 different churches. And so how are you going to know which one is the right one to attend? Which one do you worship with? It becomes especially difficult when you find out that Church 1 teaches practice A, and Church 2 forbids practice A. And so they're, they're definitely different. But then you find out that Church 1 forbids item A, and Church 2 mandates item A. So the same, in the same city even, in a small city like ours, you'll find one church saying this is okay, and one church saying this is not okay. And so there are a variety of different churches. And so how... Can you know which one's right? Can, can both of them be right? And obviously both of them cannot be right. In, interestingly enough, in the Bible, we read of only one church. The Bible only talks about one church. Let's, 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 let's follow through the scripture here. We've, we're going to have several uh, scriptures on the, uh, on the screen during our time together this morning because I want you to see the Bible. I don't want you to hear me speak. I want you to hear God speak on this issue. Because there's a difference, right? I want you to hear his words. So here are his words. Acts 2, verse 47. He says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church, the church, not the churches, but the singular is used here, the church daily, those who were being saved. Again, in Matthew 16, verse 18, we find out that it aligns, up, that it aligns very well with Jesus' purpose in the church. He says, I will also... 
say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter's confession, right, that Jesus is the Christ, all the true, all the things that Jesus said about himself are true. On that confession, Jesus is going to build his church. Not churches. Again, you find the singular used here. So there is only one church talked about in Scripture. Again, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, you'll find <clears throat> the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, the elders that were at the church in Ephesus. This is what he says to them, among other things. He says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to help shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. There's only one church you find in Scripture. And this is the church that Jesus died to save. In case, in case it wasn't uh, clear enough already, here again in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. And so throughout Scripture, you'll find this distinction, uh, the similarities rather, between the church and the body. This is the same entity. When he says the church and he says the body, these, these two terms are referencing the same entity. And so Jesus is the head over the singular church, but he's also calling that church his, his body. Listen to what he says here in Ephesians 4, 4. This is really the linchpin argument, the linchpin verse you can go to to prove that there's only one church. He calls it the body here, but we're familiar now with Ephesians 1 and the church being the body, the same thing. So he says in Ephesians 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There's only one church described in Scripture, and so we need to figure out what that church is. Are we a part of that one church? Let's look in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What if someone came along and they decided it would be a good idea to make some divisions in that one church, the one church that the Bible talks about? What if somebody came along and said, well, there's some things that I don't like about that one church. Would it be okay for there to be divisions, to be separate entities? Would it be okay to have a multiplicity of churches? Well, let's see what God has to say about that. First Corinthians chapter 1, something like that is happening in the Corinthian congregation. He says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's pulling out all the stops here. By the highest authority Paul can can uh, convince these guys to do what he wants them to do. He's calling on that. He says that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Right. So he is condemning divisions. It's not, it's not a good thing. It's not okay and it's certainly not okay with God. This is what's going on in the Corinthian congregation, though some of them are saying, well, I follow this leader, while other ones are saying, I follow this leader, while still other ones are saying, well, I follow Christ, so I'm better than, than all of you. Listen to what he says. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Are you were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, none of those things are true, right? There can be only one church, there's only one church described in Scripture, and God does not want divisions in it, but he saw it coming, of course, right? He predicted that there would be a departure from this New Testament pattern of there being only one church. Let's look at some verses. 
at chapter 20, verse 28, he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the, all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the shepherd of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is the verse we read just a second ago, but here's the rest of that verse. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. He also says to, this, to these Ephesian elders, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Don't forget that Paul's speaking to an eldership here. He's speaking to the Ephesian elders. And he says to them that from their own group, out of the leadership in the church, Savage wolves are going to come in and they're going to speak diverse things. They're going to speak things that are uh, an attempt to separate. He says it's not a good thing. Interestingly enough, as you look at the first century church in history, you'll find one of the very first departures from the one true church starts in the leadership. Here's a couple more verses. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-3. through three. Again, God saw this coming. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received. Those last two little bits there, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, are two more of the big things that you'll see happening as divergences from the one true church early on in history. Commanding that you can't marry certain people. Does that sound like any denomination? We know the Catholic Church has, has been saying that for quite some time now. God saw that coming here in 1 Timothy 4. He notates that and also commanding to abstain from foods that you couldn't eat. Uh, again in 1 Timothy 4, 1-3 through three, says, With thanksgiving, oh, sorry that's the rest of... <laughs> rest of that verse, to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. He saw this coming. And so two of the specific departures uh, that would later take place had to do with forbidding marriage and not being allowed to eat certain foods. So we're really coming down to the question that we're, we're focusing on today. Why are there so many churches? Well, early on in the first century, there started to become some splinter groups Throughout, the, uh, throughout this one true church. You find a couple of them here. The, the Gnostics are kicking around in 125, the Montanists in 156. You see a couple of the other ones. But they will have these uh, divisive and diversive different teachings. Uh, and so different little splinter groups will pop up even uh, in the mid-first all the way through the third centuries. Um, the church organization, this is one of the big things. Remember we said... That in the beginning, in the first century, the churches were organized in a very certain, a very specific God-ordained, God-laid-out way. Um, but that's going to be one of the first things that begins to diverge. In fact, in 325 A.D., a guy named Constantine has taken over the Roman Empire. He is the sole ruler of the Roman Empire, and he likes Christianity. At least he sees some political benefit to Christianity. Scholars are kind of uh, on the fence as to whether how much of a believer he actually is or was. But uh, he sees some political gain to him 
becoming a Christian, so he does. And in 313 AD, he outlaws the persecution of Christianity. In 325, he calls a massive meeting. He invites 1,800 elderships from around his nation. So he's trying to get a huge section of the church, the one true church. He's trying to get all of them in one spot so he can kind of walk them through what he wants the church to look like. You see how that's dangerous? It is dangerous. Uh, and I'll show you how. Only about 300 of these guys showed up. And they were all exclusively, almost all of them came from the east. So the, the section that I've got highlighted in blue on the map, the, th the 300 that actually showed up, all of them came from that section of his empire. Only six or seven came from uh, the whited out section here on the screen behind me. All that to say... Most of the church did not buy into what Constantine was trying to sell. He wanted to set the church up like Rome has been set up, with a supreme leader at the very top. Uh, there were, he wanted areas to be covered by uh, other leaders and then each individual congregation to be governed by uh, other leaders, very much like Rome itself is set up. He thought that was a good way to do that. And so he was trying to sell that to the church at the Council of Nicaea, and it worked at least to some extent. And so during that, during that meeting, they came up with a term for this new church that they're founding. It's Catholic. It means universal, but it's the denomination we know today as, as Catholic. And so that happens in AD 325. This is the timeline. Um, this is a big, big timeline. Uh, I'll try to post this on, on our Facebook page later today, but if you want to, after services, there's a map on the back um, out these doors that has this on there. You feel free to go over there and look or check out our Facebook page later, and you can see it there in its entirety. Uh, it's too big to fit on the screen, though, <laughs> so uh, I kind of had to uh, narrow it down a little bit. So, AD 33, you find the one true church founded. There it is. You read about it in Scripture in Acts chapter 2. When Peter presents the very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were baptized into Christ. That's the church. And that church still exists today. Uh, it is the Church of Christ. In AD 325, a splinter group, a uh, denomination formed off that one true church. And it was known as the Catholic Church. They started forming all these man-made doctrines. You see some of them on the screen behind me. And you'll, you'll recognize a lot of these, uh, the, the demand for Latin mass, not the language of the people, but in Latin in AD uh, 394, purgatory became a doctrine. Well, at least they said it became a doctrine. In 593, uh, the Pope was known as God on earth uh, in 606. He's the first official Pope. And so all these uh, man-made doctrines, including the celibacy of the priest that we heard about back in 1 Timothy, happens in 1015. Um, and, and so all of that is going on, but there's, there's really, in, if you can see the timeline, there's really only two churches up until 1015. There's the one true church that you read about in the Bible that was founded on the day of Pentecost, the church of Christ, the church that belongs to Christ, the church that Christ died for. There's that church, and then there's the Catholic church. But in 1015, things start going a little wrong, at least for the denominational world, because the Catholic Church splits 
splits in half. Remember that map I showed you of the two different divisions, the east and the west? Well, the east doesn't like the way the west is doing things, and so the, the Catholic Church splits right in half and becomes the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. So that happens in 1054. Um, so there's, there's that. You find a couple more uh, over the next four or five hundred years, you find a couple more of man-made doctrines that the Catholic Church is going to um, pull up, that, are, that they're going to invent. Specifically, indulgences in 1192 are going to be very important for our study in just a minute because Martin Luther, about 400 years later, is going to come on the scene and he does not like indulgences and some things are going to get very, very interesting during that time period because of the sale of indulgences. In AD set, excuse me, I'm talking too fast. I know I got to slow down. Sorry. In 1870, the Pope was declared infallible. You think it was a lot later than that, wouldn't you? I was kind of surprised by that number myself. Um, but that's a fairly recent um, declaration that they've made that he can't speak wrongly. And so, all those are, are man-made uh, declarations. None of those things are found in Scripture. Um, but these are some of the things that the Catholic Church has, has found and, and latched onto. Um, there's a, a big part of the, of the timeline that you'll see on the, on the wall outside uh, our circle here around the auditorium. So remember I said that Martin Luther comes along and he, in the 1500s, he doesn't like indulgences. He doesn't like people selling indulgences. Indulgences were basically... A get-out-of-hell-free card. And so how do you, um, how are you absolved of your sin? Well, you buy an indulgence. And so Martin Luther hated this practice. Uh, he couldn't find it in Scripture. He was, he was good about, in some ways, going back to Scripture and looking uh, to see if he could, he could verify what the Catholic Church was doing. And in this instance, he could not. And so lots of stuff started happening, happening during this time period. We know it as the Protestant Reformation. And so a lot of the churches we know today, a lot of the denominations that we know today spring up during the 1500s, during Martin Luther's lifetime, as well as some of the guys that uh, helped form the Protestant Reformation, Calvin and Zwingli and some of those other guys that you, you may be familiar with. Right before Luther splits off from the, uh, from the Catholic Church, there's another denomination that pops up. They're, not, they're called the Anabaptists. And so maybe you've heard of them. The Puritans come from them. Um, the Baptist church that we know today comes from them. Several other denominations, you can see it on the, on the board there, pop off of the Anabaptist denomination. But their main deal is they want to baptize again. Anna means again. And so they want to baptize again the ones that the Catholic church have, has baptized as babies. They started that practice about 300 years before the Anabaptist denomination, denomination popped up. So... There they are, and they want to rebaptize adults for the purpose of remission of their sins. The, baby, the ones that the Catholic Church baptized as babies, they want to rebaptize them again. Eventually, splinter groups will come off of the Anabaptist Church, and, and you see uh, that on the screen there. There's the whole thing. I know you can't read it, but uh, if you want a copy of this, uh, get with me, and I'll give you a copy, or you can just look on Facebook or out on the wall behind and take a uh, behind us and take a picture. Some of these uh, denominations started with noble intent, right? 
uh, like, like uh, Luther. He wanted to restore. He wanted to go back and, and find um, the church of the Bible. He just didn't go far enough, right? Um, so some of them started with noble intent. Some of the other ones didn't. Um, take, for instance, the Church of England. Do you know how the Church of England started? It started because Henry VIII wanted to divorce his current wife and marry someone else, and the Catholic Church wouldn't allow that, so he just made his own church, right? It's called the Church of England, and it still exists today. And so some of them started with noble reasons, others not so much, but that's a big portion of what we're dealing with uh, today. So since Jesus condemns division... We need to be a part of the one true church that Jesus established rather than a man-made church. He's not, never been okay with division, so we need to simplify matters. We need to just be in the one true church that he authorized, the one church that he died for. So which one is that? And maybe the first question we need to answer is, does this mean that the denominations are wrong? Does this mean that, that all of them are, are wrong and I want to be kind here, but I want to be clear too. Yes, it, it would mean that if all of those denominations split off the one true church and they're not following the Bible, then yes, that's what that would mean is that the denominations are wrong, that they don't follow Scripture. And so what are we going to do? Um, all other all churches other than the one built by Jesus Christ exist without New Testament authority or example. That's why they're wrong. Matthew chapter 7, uh, just to give you uh, some, some biblical precedent for this idea. We talked about this a little bit in Bible class this morning. But he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? These people are doing Good things, right? These people are, are, are trying to live the way that he's called them to live. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are going to be an awful lot of people. Go back and look what he says. At the, the last line there, many will say to me in that day, many. There's going to be an awful lot of people on the day of judgment that think they're saved, but they are lost. One of the big reasons is because they've been lied to by pastors and bishops and all these other people, and they haven't read the Bible for themselves to find the one true church that Jesus died for. If you disagree with me, that's fine. We can sit down and talk about that later, but this verse needs to make you sit back and think. Most people, is what Jesus says, will be lost. That ought to give us pause. That ought to make us think. Having good intentions is not good enough. We all know people who would give you the shirt off their back, who are just the salt of the earth type of people. But they haven't been baptized for the purpose of the forgiveness of their sins. And they're not worshiping correctly, and they're not in the one true church this new testament pattern must be followed if we want salvation if we want to worship the correct way if we want to be pleasing to god we have to do this his way we can't break out on our own acts 2 verse 47 he says praising god and having favor with all the people 
and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is what he does. If you're in this one true church, he saves you. If you're outside of it, he will not. So how to become a part of that one true church? It's where we need to spend our time, right? Let me read to you 2 Thessalonians 1. He says, And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to underline, obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because that's how you get what they got. He says some of them are going to be punished but some of them are going to be rewarded. The ones who are going to be rewarded are those who have obeyed the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's it mean to obey the gospel? Well, first I need to hear the gospel, right? I need to hear that the wages of sin is death. But God is giving me, is offering me a free gift. I need to understand that. I also need to understand that I need to call on Him. Um, if I believe in Him, I have to call on him I also need to hear that uh, I am dead in my sins that my sins have cost me death that's what they produced in me I also need to hear that Jesus became flesh that he died and has been resurrected for me I also need to hear that God demonstrates his love toward us while we were still sinners that Christ died for us and that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved Second Timothy chapter 2 uh, verse 10 he says therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory <coughs> And so there's coming a time when he will judge everyone for what we have done in this life. Were you in the one true church? Were you out? How did you worship? How were you saved? What does that look like? And so he's been winking. He's been overlooking um, the, this ignorance for a time. But Acts 17.30 tells us that there's coming a time when he's going to command everyone to repent. So repentance is necessary. Not only do I need to hear, I also have to believe what I've heard, right? And then once I believe, I have to repent. I can't just believe, right? Because even the demons believe. That's what James tells us. Even the demons believe and they're trembling. They're terrified of this end because repentance is no longer accessible to them. But it is to you and it is to me. I can still repent. And that's what he's calling us to do today. In fact, he says here, uh, after I've repented, that I need to confess. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I need to confess that Jesus, all the things that he has said about himself are true. I believe all those things, all the promises that he's given me, that he is deity, that he's coming back, that he really was resurrected, and that one day he's coming back to get us. I need to believe all those things, but I also need to confess all those things. Finally, I need to be baptized, right? Acts 8, verse 36, he says, 
uh, the eunuch says to, to Philip, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Mark 16, 16 also backs this up. He says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You cannot get out of this life. You cannot enter into the next life in a way that's pleasing to God, in a way that's pleasing to you without baptism. There's only condemnation there. Paul also talks about this quite a bit in Romans 6. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? It's at this point that you get salvation. The moment that you get inside of Christ is when you contact salvation, not before. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's what He's calling us to do today. After we've heard, after we've believed all the things that Jesus has said, after we've repented. And repentance is more than just being sad at what I've done, right? It's, it's putting a plan into place to change my life and, and working that plan, not going back to those things that I've done in the past that are not pleasing to God. After I've repented, after I've confessed all the things that Jesus has said are true, really are true. After I've done those things, I, I need to be baptized. That's the, the final answer in salvation. It's the final component. If you do everything up until baptism, but don't do baptism, then you're not saved, are you? Because it's the, it's the final component. It's what Scripture says in 1 Peter 3, verse 21, now saves us. And so here we are. Maybe you've made that decision this morning. Maybe you've already been baptized. Maybe you've walked through all these steps and you're in the one true church, but you're struggling and life is hard and you need forgiveness and you need prayers and you need strength. That's, that's what we're here for. That's what the church was made for. We are our family. We surround each other and we love each other and we help and encourage each other and pull each other up when we're down. That's what we're good at. That's what God's called us for. Maybe you just need to be saved. Maybe that's your desire this morning. Uh, to join the one true church at the same time as being saved because those two things come together, don't they? Church um, admission as well as uh, salvation, you can't have one without the other. They come together in the Bible. And so maybe that's what you're looking for today is, is salvation. We want to help you in any way we can. If you have any this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
Stephen McLeod has come forward this morning uh, asking prayers for this congregation. Steve has uh, made some mistakes in his life, uh, mistakes that he's uh, extremely sorry for. He's met with the elders a couple of times, and, and uh, he said, I've asked God to forgive me a thousand times. And he said, how many times does a person have to ask? And, you know, according to God, we just need to ask him to forgive us one time. But we can't forgive ourselves. We have, we have problems with that. And I knew that Steve was going to come forward. this. I didn't know he was going to come forward this morning until this morning. And you always... You always want to try to say the right thing and, and do the right thing. And I, and I know that we have a loving congregation, and, and Steve knows that. But Steve is hurting at this time, and, and he needs our prayers. And, uh, and he not only asked for prayers for himself, but he asked for prayers for Melissa and, and Logan and Darby.
a propitiation for our sins. Let's remember the McLeod family this morning. Let's uh, show Steve, meet with Steve, and uh, let him know that we forgive him because we know that God does and pray for him and his family. Bow with me, please. Our God and our Father and our giver of all things and our forgiver of all things if we ask you. Father, we come to you this morning as, as, as humble as we can uh, on behalf of Steve and and Father, we pray that, uh, that you'll bless him and, and uh, Father, give him strength to, uh, to do uh, what he needs to do in, in, in serving you and, to, uh, and for his family, Father, to, uh, to be the, the, the father and, and the husband that, that he wants to be. And, and we pray, God, for his family. We pray, Father, that, that you will bless them, and, and uh, we pray that, that you will strengthen all of them, Lord, that uh, we just pray, God, that, that they'll be able to, uh, to work out the things and, and that we can uh, have the McLeod family here with us to, to worship with us again. Father, we just pray that, uh, that you'll bless them. We play, pray for only comfort that you can give. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Good morning. We have a few announcements to go with before we're dismissed. Uh, October 14th is the next fifth quarter, so this Friday night. Uh, October 15th at 1 p.m. we'll be going to the Cooper Family Corn Maze in Milton, West Virginia. All ages are welcome for that. October 18th at 10.30, the Young at Heart will be going to Bob Evans. Our Trunk or Treat is October 22nd from 7 to 8. October 30th, we'll be going to the Pumpkin House at 5.30. And a reminder everyone to pick up their directories in the back. On our prayer list, remember Amber Spitzer has breast cancer. Uh, Jennifer Baker, remember Terry Leap gets Gary's brother has stage four bone cancer and liver cancer. Remember Emery McAllister, this is Marvin's grandfather with a broken hip. Uh, talked to Rod, he said his mother Virginia Maynard is doing a little bit better this morning. Uh, remember Jim Haney, and added to the prayer list. Remember Bob O'Lynn. Uh, Bob is facing, um, I don't know how to say it. I guess quadruple bypasses four. He's got five bypasses coming, so whatever that would be. Uh, remember Whitney Fulton as well. Is there any other announcements that need to be made? If not, we'll have a closing song and a closing word of prayer. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 626, The Christian's Welcome Home. We'll sing the first and last verse, and then Brother Andy Pittman will have a prayer. How sweet will be the welcome home when this soul of his when
Pray with me, please. Oh, Father in heaven, we're so gracious for this, this day and this, this organization you've created for us, Father, as a, to act as a support for each other, and Father, to help guide us back towards your, your will for us. Father, we thank you so much for the, the people in our lives that lift us up, and Father, we, we pray that we can be the same for those around us. Father, be your light in the world. Lord, be with us as we disperse from here that we, we can take your love to the world and show them, show them you through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs> 